And this morning we are continuing with our series, Our Born Identity, or better known as the Born Again Identity. Um, and last week, Pastor Tafara started on the process of knowing your identity. Now, the process of knowing your identity includes four things. So the one was knowing your God. The second one was knowing yourself. The third one was knowing your enemy. And the fourth one was knowing how to live from your position of identity. Is everything okay? Okay. And when last week when Pastor Tafara spoke about knowing your God, we learned that God is not a man. We learned that he's spirit. We learned that God cannot lie. So everything that God says is. If God came in here, Pastor Tafara made an example and said, if God came in today and said, good evening, lovely people, on this Wednesday evening, it will turn to become a Wednesday evening. Amen. We learned that God is truth. And we read just now that the truth sets us. So God brings with him freedom. Jesus Christ brings freedom. We learned that God is consistent. So he's the same yesterday, today, and Amen. And we also learned that God is faithful. Therefore, we can trust Him. We can put our trust in God. Today, I'll be speaking more to you about yourselves. So I'm going to be telling you about you. How about that? And I'm sure some of you are looking at me and thinking, yeah, that sister done gone mad. How can she tell me about me? She doesn't know me from a bar of soap. But today, I'll be speaking to you about you. But very quickly, I'm also going to speak to you about your enemy. John 10 verse 10 tells us that the enemy comes to do only three things. So if you ever have to wonder, is this the enemy or is this God? You'll be able to very quickly identify through these things. John 10 verse 10, Jesus says, The thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So if there's anything that is stealing your joy, it's stealing your peace, it's stealing your happiness, it is not of God. That's how you identify the enemy. All the enemy does every time is to try and separate you from God. It's to try and bring in a rift between you and God. The enemy has no power. Amen. He's a defeated foe. So never be afraid of the devil. He has absolutely nothing on us. The only power he has is the power that you give. Which is why it's very important to always be in the word. And to know what God says about you and who you are. The devil is the tempter. He's the one who tried to tempt you. His biggest tool is deceit. Is deceit. He'll try to deceive you. So if you don't know the word and you don't know who you are, he can deceive you into thinking things that are not as though they are. Amen. So how do we stand against the evil one? It's a simple thing stay in faith how do you stay in faith amen the world tells us that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God so stay in the word that's how you will defeat the devil always okay so now I'll get to the part where I start to tell you about yourself and start telling you about who you are amen and in particular I'm going to speak about those things that we know as Christians but kind of tend to take for granted or sometimes we actually forget now when you take something for granted what tends to happen is that you cannot get into the fullness of the power of that thing that you have because you don't know you have it 
then you can't actually be using that power. Let's start off by identity. So what is identity? And this is the definition that I got. What is identity? It is defined as the collective aspect of the set of characteristics by which a thing is definitively recognizable or known. Definitively. What this means is that our identity in Christ should not only be recognizable to ourselves, but to others. When others look at us, they should just be able automatically like that one is of Christ. Being a Christian means you're a follower of Christ. And when you're a follower of Christ, you do what Christ does. What did Christ do? He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He fed thousands and thousands of people. How nice would that be? I want to feed thousands and thousands. And not just at a wedding. But all the time. I want to be able to feed thousands and thousands of people. Amen. So it should be easily recognizable. When people see me, they should be able to see Christ in me automatically. Amen. So if you're in Christ, it should be evident. Just as being in the world is, is very evident. That I'm here, you can see me. Looking pretty. You can, you can see me. So even that Christ is in me should also be instantly recognizable. So our identity in Christ means even our bodies and our actions reflect that our minds are renewed. Let's go to Romans 12 verse 2. Romans 12 verse 2. Amen. So it says, do not be conformed to the world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the way you think... The way you think is what governs your actions, right? So the way you think should be reflective of the nature, of your actual nature, which is that Christ is in you. Therefore, your actions should also reflect that. Amen. And then it also says, but now we are instruments to the righteousness of God. Let's go to Romans 6 verse 13. In Romans 6 verse 13. And this is speaking about our identity in Christ. And it says, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Right? And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Our bodies now need to become instruments of righteousness to God. And I'll speak to righteousness just now. Now, one of the greatest, absolute greatest blessings that we have that the Lord gave us is the grace to be able to grow into the spiritual maturity of this new identity. Because at the moment at which we are born again, yeah, so we are born again, but yeah, we kind of are not sure. But he has given us the grace to be able to grow into the fullness of that new identity. Amen. God is good. And all the time. So if you're taking down notes, the first thing is you are a brand new man. You are a brand new man. We learned that we are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. And that what became new was your spirit man. That's the true you. That's what became new. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 to 17 says, Therefore from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. And when it says from now on, it means from here going forward. Let's forget what's behind. Amen. So it says we regard no one according to the flesh. The flesh is this, this physical stuff. You know, I've got nice nails, but you know, the things on them that can be removed and all sorts of nice things. That's the physical stuff, the unimportant stuff. It says, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation 
all things have behold all things have become amen so you are a brand new man someone say i'm a brand new man so what does this mean if we look at verse 17 it's saying therefore if anyone is in christ are we in christ okay then it says if anyone is in christ he's a new creation and then it has that semicolon meaning everything that comes after it also pertains the, to this thing that is the new creation are we together okay so in being a new creation it says that all things have passed away what does that mean it means don't live in the past don't live with the guilt of mistakes that you have made before don't live in the oh but i should have done this oh i should have done this I, if i had known what i knew now guys me i I would have gone into like politics <laughs> if I had known what I but that's not the point right because we know when we are in Christ whatever decision I make today right it is the will of God that I prosper so whatever it is I do as of today whether or not I didn't get into politics before it means I'm gonna prosper going forward right because that we know that is the will of God in our lives so it means we don't live in despair or hopelessness or sorrow now very often we define ourselves by our experiences and this is why I was smiling because I said sister Dalian has, has, has you know more or less kind of helped me <laughs> in the process so very often we we define our lives by our experiences right but what's important to note is that experiences are not who you are all experiences are or what experiences tend to do is it tends to change how you view life but interestingly, interestingly, take an example. So you get two individuals, and they come from very poor backgrounds, as an example. What's interesting is, besides the fact that they have exactly the same experience, the one will be very motivated and will say, when I grow up, I don't want to be poor. In the same token, with exactly the same experience, the other one is going to be very bitter to, towards rich people. But they've got exactly the same experience. It doesn't define who they are. It simply defines how they view life. Amen. But now, if we think of ourselves, we are born again. Right? All things have become new. If we truly understand, it's, it's like a life-altering experience. Something completely different. Right? And if we're born again, we're a new man, we're now living according to God's kingdom. And if we're living according to God's kingdom, that means we see life through the eyes of God. And then we start to see God's goodness. We start to live life expectant of God's goodness. Expectant that I will have peace and peace in abundance. Amen. And then if we continue, it says, Behold, all things have become new. So all things have become new, meaning going, we're now looking forward. Just forward. Stop looking behind just amen and being brand new is like a caterpillar and a butterfly think about a caterpillar and a butterfly right would it not be the stupidest thing if the butterfly that can fly decides oh hang on but i once was a caterpillar so let me start crawling again because i used to be a crawling again on the dirt where human beings being human beings just trample on the caterpillar would it not be the stupidest thing for a butterfly? A butterfly knows that me, I'm a butterfly and I fly in the air, in the oxygen. 
Amen. So that's what it means when you're brand new. You stop looking behind and you start looking ahead. The Bible says that in Christ we are a new creation, right? In Romans 6 verse 3, it says that we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What is this new life? Someone might ask. This new life is the Zoe kind of life that Jesus talks to in John 10 verse 10. Right? So the first part of it talks about the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Now some of the other words or synonyms for abundance are rich, plenty, lavish. Yo, I like saying that, but I don't lavish life. I prophesy in Jesus' name, amen. Inexhaustible. This means you can expect to have peace in abundance. You can expect to have health in abundance. Prosperity in abundance. Joy in abundance. That's the type of life that the new man, you and me, should look forward to. So our identity in Christ is first and foremost one of newness. And this um, new man, if you continue in 2 Corinthians 5, I think we read from 16 and 17, if you continue to verse 18, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18 to 19, and it says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses on them, so not putting their sins on them and judging those sins on them, right? And has committed us to the word of reconciliation. So there's a definition I like on what reconciliation is. And it says, reconciliation is the process of finding a way to make two different ideas or facts exist to be true at the same time. Now what do we know about God? God is holy. What do we know about ourselves in and of ourselves without Christ? We are not holy. But God so loved us, he found a way to make it work. He gave up his only son, Jesus Christ, that he could actually come and indwell us in this unholy body. Amen. How awesome is that? God is good. And all the time. So this brings us to the second thing, if you're taking down notes, which is that you are the righteousness of God. Say, I am the righteousness of God. Interestingly, Righteousness, or the term righteous, is spoken about about 538 times in the Bible, compared to faithfulness or faith, which is spoken about 350 times. So righteousness is spoken about 1.5 times more in the Bible than is faithfulness. So this righteousness thing is it's very important. Very, very important. What does it mean to be righteous? So a very simple term that people tend to use is that to be righteous means to be in right standing with, with God. Amen. But righteousness is the condition of being in the right relationship with God. How do we become right in this relationship with God? How do we get into a place where we are in the right relationship with God? We do it through one way and one way only. Total and complete faith total dependence on Christ. It's as simple as that. You don't need to do anything. There's nothing that you can do to become righteous. 
I think a lot of us tend to, to get into the mistake of thinking that I have to do something in order to be righteous. That's why a lot of us can't actually um, um, enjoy or just sit and just bask in the fact that you are the righteousness of God. Because we constantly think, maybe I should be doing this, maybe I should be doing that. Or for example, say you're at work, you get very upset, um, very upset with your boss, and then God forbid you say an indecent word, and then you think, oh no, but does God still love me? Then you start to doubt. But being the righteousness of God has nothing to do with you. <laughs> and here I am telling you about you. I'm liking this. So, so being righteous has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. Righteousness in and of, of itself is a gift. If you have to work for it, it's not a gift anymore. It's wages. If someone comes to you and then the only reason they'll give you a gift is because you were nice to them the day before yesterday, it's not a gift. It becomes work. Amen. So righteousness is a gift. And it's a gift that comes from the Lord to those who accept what Jesus has done for them by faith. Let's read Romans 5, verse 17 to 18. Someone say, I am the righteousness of God. Romans 5.17-18 And what does it say? So it says, For if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one. And that was Adam. You know, when I get to... When I get to... <laughs> Adam and I are going to have a really long chat. Amen. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of... The gift of... Will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, that's Jesus. Amen. The free, free came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. So, righteousness is a gift. Embrace it. Would you like it now if you were to give someone a gift and then, you know, force your minute to ah, I'm not like that. You give me a gift. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> I'm the complete opposite. Amen. But you wouldn't like it if you gave someone a gift and then they start having all this false humility. Oh, but I'm not worthy of this gift. I'm not. So what do you think the father thinks when he's given you this gift and then you start having false humility? Don't. Embrace it. Amen. It is your gift from God because he loved you. Amen. So it has nothing to do with you, but everything to do with God and his grace and mercy. Amen. So it, there's nothing else that you have to do besides confessing your sins and being faithful. Because we know that God as well is faithful and is without a shadow of turning. So don't let this misunderstanding of what righteousness is about frustrate you. Don't be frustrated by it. Simply embrace that you are the righteousness of Christ. Don't try to be good. Don't try to do something. God looks at the heart. Right? And when you're a new creation, it's your heart that changes, right? Because we have to go through the process of mind renewal as well. And as we do that, as your heart changes, your actions then change. We know even in the Bible tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, heart the mouth speaks. So the action is after what is in your heart. So change your heart. That's what God looks at. 
when you make you make a mistake, you know these people of the world haven't tried. What do they say? Elias sang that song. If you must not dust yourself up and try again, then yeah, you see now. If at first you don't succeed, but when you're when you're in Christ, it means nothing. When you do something, you get up, you say, you just tell yourself, you know what, I'm not going to do that again. It's not the right thing, and then you move right along. You don't beat yourself up about it. Amen. So if you're taking down notes, we go on to number three. It is, and number three is that you are God's child. Say, I'm God's child. So you're not only God's child, but you're also a lover of God's children. And then those that have determined they start running. When I say lover. Amen. So you are God's child. And not only that, but you're a lover of God's children. Amen. So if you're a Christian today, you're a child of the King of Kings. And act like it. Live like it. And this new identity, what's important is it not only changes how you view life, but it completely alters our relationship with God. Not only with God, but with family as well. So our new identity in Christ means we have a relationship with God that Christ had with God, which is that Christ was God's son, right? So we are also God's children. We are his children. If we go to Romans 8, verse 15 to 16, or you can, you can read it, it says that we know that God has accepted us as his sons. I'm a son of God. In the spirit, there's no gender for those of us who are wondering. Amen. So I'm a son. I'm a son of God, and therefore I'm a joint heir, right? And I'm a friend of God. Romans 8 verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And Abba just means Father. So we can say Father, Father. We can come to God the Father as our Father. How many of us are afraid? You know, to go to our father. When we were, when we were children, we just knew something goes wrong. We can go to daddy. You know, daddy will sort it out. And sometimes, someone says, "Mommy will sort it out." Mommy will sort it out as well. <laughs> but we're able to go to him as our father. We don't have to be afraid that he's going to judge us, but that he will just have love for us. And he'll try and fix whatever it is. Or not that he'll try. He will fix whatever it is that is wrong. And he will fix it before we even ask. Amen. But we're not just joint heirs and friends of Christ. Very importantly, and this is where here some people are going to be like up in arms, is that this relationship that we have with God is even stronger than the relationship that we have with our own families or our siblings or our moms and dads. Let's go to Matthew 10. 35 to 37. Before someone thinks the sister don't go crazy. Amen. So Matthew 10, 35 says, For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Verse 36. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not. So it's changed the whole dynamic of the relationship with Christ. So your relationship with God should be even stronger than your relationship with God. Your relationship with God should be even stronger. Which is why we say God first. And everything else second. 
So the Bible tells Christians or tells us that we can come boldly into God's presence and we have confidence to enter holy places because of what Christ did for us, because of the exchange. So we're no longer far away from God, but we're very, very close to Him. Someone say, I'm a child of God. And being a child of God, now if you're a child, it means you're part of a family. You're not alone. And what family is this? It is a family that encompasses all of us true believers. Amen. And a vast body of believers. And these believers strive always to get closer and closer to God. So it's not a one-man show or a three-man show. You, your, your spirit, your soul, and your body. And then, oh, by the way, the Holy Spirit is there and God is there. So there's five of us. No. It includes all other believers. And what does it say that we should do, right? So we know a couple of things within a family. So within a family, we know that each and every person has some or other kind of function. Right? So do you ever ask yourself, what is it that I should be doing? What's my duty in this family of God? What should I be doing? What's my gift? We know that to each has been given a gift. What is my gift and am I using it in this family of God? Amen. But it also tells us to forgive one another. Amen. And each member has a specific role, but then each of these roles need to be acted out with respect and with grace. Just because you have a role does not make you better than the next person. So we treat one another with respect and with grace. But most of all and above all, we respond to one another in love. Amen. And love is not a feeling. Feelings, Amen. Look at me talking like I'm married. I am married in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so love is not a feeling, but rather it's a selfless act. And it's a conscious act of sacrifice for your brother, for your sister. And it's reflective of the type of love that God had for us, which is the agape type of love. It has nothing to do with the fact that today you frowned at me. Even if you frowned at me, it's fine. I still love you. I mean, look, look, at, look at a relationship with a mother and a child, right? And I, I think I really, really understand it because I look at it from the point of view of an auntie. The beauty of being an auntie is when the kids start screaming, Mommy! Here's your little one, right? But even as the child is screaming and tampons and this and this and the mother is still like, come on. It's unconditional. I mean, if you really think about it, when it comes to children, when you change their nappies, it's rough. <laughs> but that's unconditional love. And that's what we need to understand. That's what we need to be in the house of God with the rest of the family. We are a part of a family. And if you're taking down notes... The last one is in Ephesians, from Ephesians 2, verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse, verse 10. And Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Some versions of the Bible say, and I like this, you are God's masterpiece. 
What comes to mind when you think about a masterpiece? It's flawless. What else? It's worth a lot. That's the word, priceless. What else? Yes, what else? Amen. What else? How many of you have ever seen a masterpiece just by the side of the road? Just there. Never. If it's a masterpiece, it's... If you want to see a masterpiece, you have to go to a museum. And if you go to a museum, how you go? You can't even touch it. It's behind the glass. It's protected. You're God's masterpiece. The word of the Lord tells us that He sets His angels charge over us to, to, to watch over us and to protect us. Masterpiece is defined in the dictionary as a person's greatest work of art. You are God's greatest work of art. The psalmist said it in eight, um, Psalms 8 verse 4 to 6. It says, What is man that you are mindful of him? Now when you're mindful of something, <laughs> that thing is constantly on your mind. Amen. All the time. Regardless of what you're doing, that thing will be on your mind. And the son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the work of your hand, of the works of your hands, and have put all things under under his feet. This is how much God thought of you. Even if you had been the only person on earth, he would still have given his son Jesus Christ just for you. Think about it. Amen. Another definition says you are, uh, when it comes to a masterpiece, it's a consummate example of skill or excellence. You're the excellence of the Lord. And don't ever doubt it. So when you hear that, how many of you believe that assessment? Often we start to feel guilty about, you know, yeah, but am I truly his masterpiece? Just this morning I was shouting at the person who cut me through traffic. Am I truly his masterpiece? Does he see me that way? Yes, he does. You are the beloved of God. Amen. The Bible teaches us that God loves us perfectly or unconditionally. And his perfect love is not based on our perfection. Is based on himself. Nothing else other than himself. God loves him, loves you because of him and not because of you. Why? Because he gave up his son Jesus Christ while we were yet sinners. Before we even knew him, before we even knew of him, he loved us still. And why why did Jesus purchase us with his own blood? Why? Because of his deep love for us. He wanted us to have and be in right relationship with God. Amen. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God commended His love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He always loves us, but we often don't receive it because we feel guilty. Or because of our experiences, or how we view life. We view life through our experiences. So get into the Word. Your experiences now should be through the eyes of God. 
What do you expect in God's kingdom? Amen. So saturate your mind with the truth of God's word. Always stay in the word. Get into the word. Know the word. Meditate on it. And it's filled with lots of, lots of reminders of his unconditional love for us. He says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. Fearfully and wonderfully made. So don't let the enemy steal your identity. Amen. You are God's masterpiece. Believe it. Amen. Glory be to God. If we can